Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service uh, showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Every baby needs a dad, dad, daddy to keep her worry-free. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show that we review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Yeah! We also have Robin Barr. Hi, Daddy. Please, oh, for fuck's sake. Boy, Please no. never do that. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. That's that it. That needs to stop. This episode is canceled. <laughs> You're all going home. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> Sorry, Kristen, for wasting your time. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually say the word daddy like 40 times a day and I actually bought bathroom art that says big daddy on it. So it's like a theme for me. Why? Why do you? Why do you? Why do you say she's a big, she's a big so fan. She's a big fan of Bioshock. <laughs> God damn it. I don't even understand that reference. In the uh, popular video game Bioshock there is a sort of Victorian diving bell costume that attacks you and it goes by the moniker of Big Daddy. Mm. And it's got little sisters that help feed it and take care of them. So they're just running around this place, this underground fortress. It's uh, underwater. They're a night. Yeah. Yeah. Underwater. We have a a guest today who is probably (laughs) at this point very uncomfortable and that is Kristen Lopez. Uh, no, I'm just, again, all of this is far more appealing to hear about than what we're going to talk about. So I'm all for it. <laughs> well, if you let, let's do the next two hours will just be us uh, prodding Robin Barr to say daddy in increasingly awkward ways. Daddy. God, don't rise to the challenge, Robin. <laughs> we're bad guys. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that had some Madonna vibes, which again, Marilyn, I mean, all it's all cyclical. Mm-hmm. Mr. J. Yep. I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> anyway, we're here today to talk Blonde, the new film from writer-director Andrew Dominic, which stars Anna de Armas. Before we do that, uh, let's meet our guest. Kristen, would you like to introduce yourself to our listening audience? Sure. Uh, I'm Kristen Lopez. I'm the TV editor for IndieWire. Uh, I also write a lot about movies and TV and disability representation and i've been talking about how much i hate this movie for over a year so <laughs> what so I have, how has it been I have out for opinion. a year did i miss no something? but i've been i've been complaining about it since it was like announced uh and when they started casting and when they started filming um it's pretty much been my thing for the last for the last year about how i am not anticipating this and I She's was, just been following the set, just heckling, just going boo, <laughs> boo. Exactly. It was Don't not Marilyn that Monroe. One. It was not Marilyn Monroe haunting the set. It was just me in the corner being like, Stop. <laughs> Okay, it's now I'm terrible. curious. Were people claiming that Marilyn Monroe was haunting the set? Yes. Anna Darmis says that Marilyn did visit the set, quote unquote, visit the set. That's yeah. Awesome. Uh-huh. Fucking love it. Robin, she loves the local thing going on this weekend. She she, she also <laughs> said that she uh, got the blessing of Marilyn Monroe's ghost. So. Yes, she said she left her a note at her grave that I, I'm assuming laid out 
all of this horribleness and was like, hope you're cool with the talking fetuses. Uh, okay. Question mark. I don't know. Um, so yeah, there was, there was a lot of like getting Marilyn's okay on this, even though she has been dead for several decades. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, yes, I hate to I hate to tell people the the Marilyn you encountered at Universal Studios is not the real Marilyn. <laughs> oh, next you're going to tell me the Elmo I encountered in Times Square wasn't the real Elmo. <laughs> you mean Schmelmo? <laughs> I was, that, I was gonna say, that, if you're if you're in LA, ahead. you don't want to encounter an Elmo. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say uh, that person can't go within a hundred feet of a school, so <laughs> not not to be associated with. Good lord! Tickle me? No, no, sir. No, no, sir. no I don't think I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, we are here today uh, by the auspices of our fine patrons over at Patreon.com. Slash the film stage show. Go there, give us your money, join our Slack channel. Um, we can also be found on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us podcastfilmstage.com, and give us a comment or reading on whatever podcast application you prefer to use. And we're also brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, but it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see. Or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected by actual human hands, so you never have to spend more time looking for something great, and instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. A couple of great things that are coming exclusively to movie. Number one is Another World, and a tour de force performance that charts the slow corrosion of moral values Vincent Linden lends emotional weight to Siphon Brzee's biting critique of toxic work culture. Examining how personal relationships crumble under capitalism, another world dissects the heavy price of corporate loyalty. I wanted to highlight this one because I'm going into the office for the first time ever tomorrow morning, and I am not feeling good about it. So this feels like it's selected especially for me. Another movie that I wanted to highlight is uh, movie's exclusive film of the day, Gaspar Noé's Vortex, European cinema's Enfant Terrible. Gaspar Noé is back with a formally audacious split-screen tour de force with revelatory performances from French New Wave icon Francois Lebrun and horror maestro Dario Argento. Vortex grapples at the heart-wrenching limits of love, comfort, and mortality. If you would like to see these, amongst many other great films, and would like to do so for free for the first 30 days, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial subscription to Mubi. All you got to do, again, go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial subscription. And that's that. Do we have anything else that we would like to talk about before we get into our review of Blonde? No, but I'm still looking up bone furniture. Have you found, like, is there anything good? Like, does any of it look good? Yeah, it looks cute. What is the, what, what animal is providing these bones? Is it usually, I don't like, know. Deer? I think it's more like furniture in the shape of bones. Oh, that's like a leg that's a spine. Here. A leg that's a spine? Like a seat that's a pelvic floor. Ew. Mm. I'm, I'm Googling bone furniture. I'm going to see what comes up. I'm getting a lot of chest of drawers that just have bones drawn on them. 
No, that's boring. You're, yeah, that's boring. My my search is a lot more tailored wood, to be. Ooh, a wood and camel bone tet on tet. You can be yours for only four thousand dollars. <laughs> this is a very interesting looking piece of furniture. I'm going to save this. I'm going to send it to you, Robin. I think you'd like. This. Okay, thank cool. you. Anyway, you. let's get into our feature review, which is of Blonde, Andrew Dominic's uh, adaptation of the novel from Joyce Carol Oates. This movie stars Anna de Armas as a fictionalized version of Marilyn Monroe, also known as Norma Jean. And here is part of the trailer. A kiss on the hand. How'd you get your start? Maybe. What start? In movies. Quite continental. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. All right. That is part of the trailer for Blonde. Let's talk about it. We begin, as always, with our basic, overarching nutshell thoughts. And we'll begin today with our guest, Kristen Lopez. What are your overall thoughts on Blonde? I hated every single second of it. (laughs) Um, Again, which I knew. I knew I would not like it because I read every interview Andrew Dominic made leading up to this movie and when I heard talk of this NC-17 near three-hour look at Marilyn's life I had heard from other friends who had heard about stories as it was being cut together and there was talk about excessive rape and abortion sequences and something about a fetus I was like nope this is not going to be a good time for me. I am a big Marilyn fan. I've been fortunate to interview a lot of the women that have played her, not Anna Darmus. Um, but, and, and I think that male directors historically who have made Marilyn biopics really have their own fucked up patriarchal opinion about her. And that comes to bear in so much of this movie. Um, there's a reason that the Marilyn community, which is a very fervid fan base, despite Andrew Dominic saying no one is a fan and nobody watches her movies anymore, there is a big community of Maryland people and they're all very unhappy with this movie. Um, So, but I I watched it because I wanted to be informed and it's just a near three hour trauma porn, oddly pro-life look at Maryland's life um, that has little respect for her. Certainly no empathy, no humanity, no no love for her as a person or who she was as an actor or a woman. Uh, it's just a deeply, deeply unpleasant film. And I know Adrian Brody says, that's the point. We should all be unpleasant watching this movie. I feel like we've got the unpleasant part. Most of the biopics about Marilyn are unpleasant. You can go back to 1976. to Larry Buchanan's Goodbye Norma Jean, which is the first Marilyn biopic. And we've seen the story before. And it's just trash. It's just straight up trash. Um, and I, I don't know many people. There's film bros that love it, but I don't see how this is going to be something we're going to be talking about in the next couple of years, let alone to just talk about, remember that really shitty Marilyn biopic that came out in 2022? All right. Bill Graham. Uh, tough act to follow there. Um, hmm. I didn't hate it from the very outset from the announcement, but, um, 
it was definitely troubling to hear all the things outside of the context of this film. Or uh, I mean, I guess that, that does provide context to the film itself. Um, but yeah, everything surrounding this film just sounded like an absolute nightmare. And then I actually watched it and it is torturous to watch and go through. Um, I will say the film is absolutely stunning. Um, you know, Dominic is known as a visual stylist and that definitely comes to fruition here. Um, I also think that Anna Darmus is pretty good in this role, although this is, again, one of those roles that sometimes is kind of like we, we had this discussion uh, talking about uh, the guy that plays Ali in um, One Night in Miami, where it's kind of, yeah, you play him, but you also play the cliche of him and you can't get away from the cliche of him just like you can't get away from the cliche of Marilyn Monroe um, because that was just kind of her in, in some respects Um, you know, you get some uh, some looks at her outside of the spotlight here. Um, But for the most part, this film is very much centered on her um, on her kind of, putting a front in many ways. I mean, it does show some behind the scenes stuff, um, but I would even say then I don't know how much Andrew Dominic is interested in who Norma Jean is versus who Marilyn Monroe is. And so I feel like this film really struggles with that. Um, I think the biggest issue with this film is what do you do when you're you're adapting a very famous fictionalized tale of Marilyn Monroe's life by Joyce, Joyce Carol Oates, and yet you're making it in a visual medium where you don't shy away from the fact that this is definitely Marilyn Monroe. You even name her Marilyn Monroe and Norma Jean. You have some of her most famous films in this. You have her famous romances in this. Like it's just kind of why, why are we even tiptoeing around this? And then if we are making an adaptation of her life, then like, why aren't we I don't know. I, I I'm I'm struggling to see why we are doing this film at this moment and also why it's two and a half hours long and why is it so torturous. Um I feel like there's not a lot of uplift in this film. So I'm not sure uh Andrew Dominic was in a good place when he made this. So that's my <laughs> thoughts. All right, Robin Barr. Yeah, I I can't help but agree. Uh with, with what you're saying here, uh, both of you, although especially Kristen, um, it definitely feels like a torturous movie to me, I think. Uh, so so I'll kind of preface this by saying um, there's a famous John Waters quote that says, um, uh, Mommy Dearest is the funniest movie about child abuse. And I uh, that that's actually a movie I really like, and I don't think it's a funny movie, but in some ways I I think Blonde is the funniest movie I've ever seen about 
<laughs> like Marilyn's tragic life because by the end of the movie, I just was like howling at scenes. I was like the bastard, the one bastard in the movie theater that was just laughing at how completely expressionistically overwrought this movie is. I mean, at some point, Marilyn is just wandering through a house on fire and it's like so symbolistic and obnoxious. And I, I just couldn't stand it. So I, I think for the last half an hour of the movie, I kept thinking like, God, can she just die already? Like, can you die please? (laughs) Like I am so over this. I've never, and I've seen Marilyn Monroe biopics, like I, you know, one of the childhood classics of my life is Norma Jean and Marilyn, which was an HBO um, biopic that I'm sure you have seen, Kristen. Uh, I don't think many people know of it, but to me, that is a better film than this. Um, it, you know, I've just never encountered a movie that active made me actively wish for her death, which is like horrible. Uh, and I just, I felt bad for Ana de Armas because she is naked and crying in so many scenes that I was actually starting to feel like if I was crying this much, my skin would be so chafed. And I wondered how she actually made it through the the shoot because she has literally got tears streaming down her face in what felt like almost every scene, at least toward the end of the movie. It's just so it, it takes these big, very basic um, concepts of like, having an uh, being abandoned by your father um you know wishing you had a father in your life all that stuff and turning it into like such an obvious uh so overly telegraphed sexual connection to being abandoned that it felt just like way too freudian for me um i mean i when i came out of the movie i just kept thinking like this movie was a three-hour electro complex like why did i need this in my life um, and don't even get me started on the fetuses because talk about comedy. Like I, I was just laughing. So we'll, I mean, there's way more we can talk about in the spoilers, but I was, I was not affronted by the concept of a movie just showering us with this tragedy, but it does so in a way that really avoids Marilyn as a person. Like they want us to see her as completely a victim. They don't want us to see her as a star as somebody who took her acting very seriously as i mean there's some references to her being a reader but it's like it's always framed in the context of people putting her down or mm-hmm. or being surprised by it and she was actually a very smart person and she did have a a very tragic childhood but just because somebody grows up in those circumstances doesn't mean that they're that they're living in a a torture chamber in their own mind because of it. And, you know, the, the entire beginning sequence with Julianne Nicholson, like I know she's getting some, some critical favor, but I kept thinking like, God, this is just all overdone. Like there's not an ounce of, of realism here. So it just started to feel like nuclear art school self-seriousness to me. Like, I don't know how anybody could take it could take it as anything beyond, uh, you know, artistic masturbation. Brian, I know that you're going to talk a little bit. I know you're also a fan of Ana de Armas. So when I went into this movie, I kept thinking like, I'm just going to hate this because I'm not really into her. And she was like the least of the movie's problems. Like I was fine with her. Um, You know, I don't think I would put her in my top anything for this year, but that's also just because the movie 
so damaged my view of, of this performance and that has almost nothing to do with her. So I'm really curious if, if there's any dissent here, but I just couldn't, when that fetus started talking and saying, mommy, why did you kill me? I, I was just laughing my ass off. I'm sure other people in the movie theater hated me. So yeah, I my, would say that, oh, oh, go on. Well, no, if you have a, a response oh, to Robin, you can go. I, I was going to, I was going to say that if Anna Darmus deserves flowers for any movie this year, it's her performance in deep water, which is a <laughs> pen- <laughs> the best thing she's done this year. Uh, and I'm so many saying, nipples. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's First of all, she has the proper amount delightful. of nipples, Robin. <laughs> Let's but if not you go let's, let's count rumors. the nipples by frame in these two movies. Okay, well, there's 24 <laughs> frames a second. Exactly. Two plus nipples, one million mostly. breast shots. <laughs> but go on, Kristen. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, which I think Anna Darmus, I feel, is a good performer if she's given the right material. Like she's an actress that I feel is far more beholden to material that understands how she acts. And again, deep water. Uh, she understood the assignment. She's got a lot of like fun little character turns in a in a role that is just like woefully underwritten in a movie that clearly <laughs> does not my know ass. it's a comedy. It, 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 that movie does not know it's a comedy. Uh, but <laughs> that's it is a what comedy. makes it the best comedy. <laughs> and that's what makes it exactly a perfect movie. Um, so I would say. Don't watch Blonde. Just go watch Deep Water on Hulu and you'll get really the best Anadarmus movie of the year. I kind of think Blonde is a better movie than Deep Water. Oh, no. Robin, you're difficult to understand sometimes. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying I didn't hate both of them, but like if I had to choose one, I would sit through Blonde again. I celebrated my wow. birthday by rewatching Deep Water for the second time. So that's again, inc- it's that's the, that it is, is an incredible statement. It is the gift that keeps on giving. It is joyous, and I would love to get a lot of those lines like knitted on a sampler or so- a t-shirt, something. I'll, I'll take them all. So wins wow. for that film. <laughs> get you to Etsy, honey. <laughs> exactly. Yes, working on it. Wow. Okay, Brian, go break my heart. Go on. Uh, so my my day yesterday was really actually like my last four days have been like really fucked up and very busy. Um, Friday night I had a family fun night for my daughter's school, and then I had to get up early the next day and I had to set up my distillery to do a hookah party that we were doing that night. I then had to leave that to go to a child's birthday party, and then leave that to go do the hookah party. And so I got home last night at like ten o'clock. After like, I don't know, 48 hours of nonstop doing stuff. And I was like, oh, God, I've got to do this fucking podcast tomorrow (laughs) on this (laughs) nearly three hour long movie that people just won't shut the fuck up about. And so I figured what I would do was I would watch as much of it as I could Saturday night so that I didn't have to watch that much today. Um, I got home exhausted. I sat down on the couch and I was like, I'm going to get through maybe an hour of this. And instead, I, and actually my plan had been like, I'm going to lay down and watch this movie. And like, I'll just fall asleep and then I'll just start it again tomorrow wherever I remember it. Instead, what happened is I sat bolt upright for the full three hours, watched every frame, loved every second of it. <laughs> and 
Uh, yeah, I haven't like stopped thinking about it all day. It's a it's a tremendous movie. It's deeply empathetic. It's probably one of the best cinematic expressions of empathy I've ever seen. With a like with a well, you know, I was gonna say with a real person, but this is a fictionalized version of her. But it's 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 suffused with empathy. It's it's not realistic at all. It's incredibly expressionistic. It reminds me of of like crazy old like epic poems where people turn into literal monsters out of rage and grief and everything is to 11 and there's a constant just ache in the bottom of this performance for someone to break through and the only people who ever did uh are not great people in the end of the day and it's just there's so much to to feel and see and experience in this movie and I I really loved it. It was incredibly good. It's going to be in my top 10, uh, presumably, unless like 10 other really great films come out between now and the end of the year, which like probably not going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. That's where I'm at. Hey. All right. Good episode. It's going to be entertaining. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, you know, it's interesting that you say it's a deeply empathetic movie. I think I don't actually think you're wrong on that. Um, I would it, say, if anything, it suffers from like an overwhelming amount of empathy in the way that it does like try to make it seem like she it, you could almost be forgiven for thinking like this is a victim narrative. Like because, yeah, the movie has so much empathy for her that it it kind of tries to deliver her from any responsibility for her own actions. Um but we're like we're we're living in a in a in a moment where like we really like to to make our heroes into villains and our villains into victims and our victims into heroes, and I feel like this movie mixes two of those, but never gets to the point where she could be considered a villain. So it's it's very interesting in the way that it's it's kind of making both of those things happen. Empathy is interesting. Is it actually empathy or is it sympathy? I don't know. I wouldn't say that it has sympathy for her. I think that I think that the way that this movie plants you inside of her brain is is a is a is like it's a, an experience in empathy, not sympathy. It's not standing on the outside and going, "Oh, this poor woman." It's it's standing firmly rooted inside of her consciousness and saying, "Can you even imagine?" And um no, it's very difficult to imagine. It's I I was torn in watching this movie. I never felt bad uh, i it, the movie was almost over before i even thought to pause it and be like should i just go to bed right now <laughs> like mm. i looked up and i was like oh fuck it's like almost one o'clock like should i just go to bed and then i paused the movie. And i was like oh no there's 20 minutes left how the hell did this happen like i'm just gonna power through this and i'll have a bad day tomorrow oh my like, god i was squirming for like the last hour it was no, it this, felt like I, too much i was pulled along seamlessly by this film. And um, I had to take breaks. I, I think I mm -hmm. took like three or four breaks where no, I just this had to is, pause it and be like, mm. I have watched a lot of movies that I have liked this year that I still, if watching them at home have taken a moment to like pause to like get a drink or to check Twitter or to like text a friend just to like say what's up or to see if anyone liked the photos I put on Instagram. And I, I drank all the water in my my water bottle um, and then I set it down and I was like, 
yeah, when I feel like there's a lull, I'll I'll go get more water. I did not drink any more water for the rest of the night. All texts went unanswered. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I was transfixed the whole time. The whole time sitting in my room with two or my my living room with two dogs who just kept looking at me like, usually you get up at some point. Are you going to let us out, motherfucker? And I was like, <laughs> no, not happening. Like this is ha- like I didn't even I didn't even get up to turn the light off at a certain point. Like usually if it's late enough at night, I'll turn the lights off so I can like have a movie theater experience. But unfortunately, I started the movie under the impression that I would be unengaged and want to go to bed. Um, and so I watched the whole thing with the lights on, which is bizarre for me. And again, sitting up after a whole day of being fucking exhausted. And I didn't even lay down on my couch to watch this movie. I like watched this movie in a more engaged posture with a more engaged mindset than I've probably watched literally anything else this whole year, including stuff I've seen in theaters. You know, between this and Nitrum, you're going to have such a fun, like, top ten episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I know this is going to end up being like... Also, it's Knit Room. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Knit This is going to become Kristen and me just interviewing you. Like, I... Uh, you know what's like... funny is I was almost positive that's what was going to happen. Because every time that, like, I am the odd man out, Robin, you'd take it as a chance to, like, just... Like can we can we examine that? Can we can we really dig? Yeah, can that? we examine that? Well, okay, I knew you were gonna fucking love this movie. I knew it in my bones because this movie. Well, okay, so uh, Nick has my husband has not seen this movie. He does not plan to. It's just like does not interest him. He did not want to come to the the screening that I saw, and he keeps calling this movie Betty Boop goes to the abortion clinic, and I just knew that you were going to be all over that like i and i know your 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 personal beliefs and all of that but i just kind of i got the feeling i was just like you're gonna be like no she should have been a mother the funny thing is i don't know if she should have been a mother um i don't think anything in this movie makes us believe she would have been a particularly good mother i don't you know like, acor- Who, like could she to- have been modeled <laughs> According to this movie, uh, her, you know, and again, I'm only, I don't know shit about Marilyn Monroe as a real human being. Um, so I'm just going to like roll with what the movie does because this is a movie and the the movie says a hundred million times that it's a fictionalized account. And so I don't know. A friend of mine actually said to me like, oh, people are upset because it's like not reverent enough to her memory. And I was like, it's a fucking movie. Its job isn't to be reverent to her memory. Like, I don't understand why people would walk into a movie expecting it to be reverent do like if that's what you want go watch a fan video on youtube like that's not why we go to the film that's not how we go to the movies um so i got yeah. okay i gotta i gotta get on the soapbox for a second because i feel like there's that's probably been the most interesting element of the discourse with blonde is where the concept of this being historical fiction begins and ends and Joyce Carol Oates has always said, this is a fictional account. This is, Marilyn didn't have a voice, so I had to give her this voice uh, by putting all this trauma on her and then letting her express herself. Uh, Which, okay. In the last (laughs) month or so since this movie's been out, she's kind of gone back and forth saying that, like, yes, this is based on a real woman and I took a lot of elements from her life but certain elements are fictionalized as a way of saying to many people that have interpreted it, 
the rapey stuff is fiction, but everything else is true. And we see a lot of kind of where that line is with really any biopic, but especially in the wake of like Pam and Tommy being a great example, where Mm -hmm. the creators of that show said, they're based on real events and it's based on real people, but it's actually, we, we didn't borrow from their life. We borrowed from this magazine article that laid out all this stuff, uh, which a lot of people say is a way to get around having to get life rights from yes. people. Um, so so we're, there's this really blurry line. The issue that I have, and I say this with everything from racial representation to disabled representation, movies have the biggest platform possible to tell, to teach people about people, cultures, and locations that they've never been to before and they're never going to see. And so there is a certain amount, I feel, of responsibility as a, a director has to have in, in that knowledge. Most people that I've talked to, you know, that, that ha- are watching Blonde do not know that it's based on a book. They assume that it is a Maryland. I've had people say, oh, how's the Maryland biopic? They are not at all associating this as a fictionalized piece. But, yeah. because, but I, well, that's I, I, their fucking problem. Hold on. Like, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I decided. I, I don't know what I, to I do for the ignorance of the masses. Like, that's. <laughs> but, I, but, I think, <laughs> but it is close enough to her, her actual story. Joyce Carol Oates is utilizing all of these things. Audiences may not know, you know, certain things about Maryland, but they know it's, they know Marilyn Monroe's named. It's all of the movies that she's been in. You know who her husbands are, you know, even though they don't name Joe DiMaggio or Arthur Miller by name, the audience knows enough about Marilyn Monroe that they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe they're just not using them because of rights issues. So no, they they name both of them by name. You see a magazine. Yeah. You see a magazine article that very much says Andrew Miller. And then you also hear the father, (laughs) Arthur Miller. Uh, And then you you also hear the father reference Joe DiMaggio. Exactly. So there's enough, if anything, there's more emphasis on fact in this than there was in Joyce Carol Oates's text that it does create enough that an audience member is going to be like, okay, well then this is based on fact. Like, I think at this point we know there's enough of like, oh, events have been heightened for dramatic effect, but we're still using 98% of her life and then telling people like, oh, but wait, it's actually fiction. So you can't get mad about mm-hmm. it. That's my issue. I, I, how I, many movies say like, this is a true story and it's completely fake. Like, how is that? Like th- this, Ooh, this th- is like a, this is a feature of, of filmmaking for, I don't know, the history of cinema. Like, I don't understand why this is the, suddenly the flashpoint. Like, I've, like, I don't, it's just, it's. Well, it, it keeps happening. It keeps happening every time we yeah, have a. A good story is better than the truth. Like, I don't know. I don't know, like a simpler way to put it well, than that. As long as human beings yes. have been storytellers, we've been saying how big the fish was and multiplying by three. When the legend I, I think, becomes fact, I, print the legend. Yeah, I, I think I think the issue here is we, we had this conversation around the favorite, right? Which is a a from my perspective, a fictionalized like accounting of a real queen that may or may not have a you know love affair with another woman, um, way back in the day, and. That film never, to me, portrayed itself as anything more than 
a funny historical loosely based comedy, right? It, it was going to take some liberties and it, it used some characters. And his issue was that that queen in particular was a real woman. And he kind of put forth the fact that, you know, some people dispute whether, you know, she actually, you it know, had like these... a scandalous court rumor. Yes. And it's like, okay, but at, my question is just in in general at what point can we use historical figures in fictional films and at what point can we not like i mean it, it, we all know how how soon after 911 that movie 911 was made right um Makes even fun. like wait there's not a movie called 911 right there's are, the, are you talking about the one with charlie sheen uh sure yeah there's united um, 93 there's, not that one there's like isn't there world one with nick cage okay well i'm sorry uh world trade center right like okay um and yeah 9 you know, 11 was a 2017 movie with charlie sheen and gina gershon okay well i'm talking about world Jesus trade center Christ. which <laughs> came out not that long after right and even even united <laughs> even united 93 like that came out really you know shortly after oh, yeah, i maybe. was like in college when that came out it was like yeah not that long and so it, like okay at what point do these have to be historically accurate and we have heard countless tales of directors going down this route and being like, I want to make it very historical, historically accurate, and then still have historians poke holes inside of things because they either jumped forward in time, right? They compressed time because they wanted to make a two hour movie, right? Or they, you know, use this account, but someone else's account says this. And it's just like, it's, it just ultimately ends up being a farce either way. Anyone? Like you can't, you can't have either one of these things happen because people will just poke holes at it. So I'm not sure when art is allowed to take over as art. But the other question is, what are you doing with your art piece? Are you just like wallowing in Marilyn Monroe's, you know, uh tragedy of of her life and i feel like that's the bigger issue here not that it's gonna like confuse people because confused people are gonna be confused but that's like i'm not worried about, about that like people huh? are but people are legitimately complaining about that yeah i don't give a shit like right. i i just don't like i'm just like okay like this isn't this isn't this is based on a fictional, you know, uh, a tale. So if, if it starts there, I understand that there's an issue with like, uh, you know, this film going so far into the Marilyn Monroe mystique. But I think the bigger issue is that's, that's like a visual medium issue. Like you just can't make a film about a movie star that is blonde, that is, has the beauty mark and is in this time period and do anything but say, yeah, it's, it's Marilyn Monroe. Like if they named her <laughs> a different like character. A, right. Like if her name was, Geraldine, Geraldine, Shonro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it would just be like, like, okay, but like we, like we know what you're going for. Like, so they're just cutting that part out. 
where exactly like, they're, the they're just like ah, fuck it stand in is just let's call her fucking marilyn monroe who gives a well, shit i mean didn't arthur miller do this <laughs> that, the, i mean yeah, yeah. according uh, to the movie he did <laughs> allegedly yeah i mean the, joyce carol oates has said in the past that that blonde is not necessarily about Marilyn Monroe, even though the character's name Marilyn Monroe and has all the facets of Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> it's supposed to represent every actress of that time period that had to go through the same route in the industry, which again is also patently untrue because Marilyn's route into the industry was not like the bit player that never happened. You know, there were, the, Hollywood has far more actresses that never hit than Marilyn Monroe. So again, to, to have her say, oh, this could be any blonde woman is categorically untrue. But I think that to the bigger point that, that Bill was making is you have to look at the history of Marilyn Monroe on screen. Starting in 1976, when Larry Buchanan did, did Goodnight Norma Jean, there's a history. And I think what, what frustrates a lot of people, especially Marilyn fans, is this history of only presenting Marilyn as this trauma victim. Mm-hmm. Starting, so 1976, so several of the other ones have really taken away her agency as a, a figure. You know, sometimes it's a story about some guy that maybe knew her. Uh, historically, it's not true, but like, that's your entry point in. Um, you know, we've we've seen Norma Jean, aka Marilyn Monroe, presented as this either crazy woman or this, you know, weird I think like Andrew Dominic's claim is that like, oh, it's, it's all innate. You know, she didn't actually train. It was just this weird thing that came out and that's not true. Um, Or she's this sad, lonely figure. So there's this filmic history of Marilyn as a perpetual victim. And my hot take that I, I keep saying is that the majority of these Marilyn biopics are directed by men. There's only been two directed by a woman. Uh, only one is has been written and directed by a woman, and that's the 2001 version of Blonde that CBS did. Um, and I feel like male directors, you know, Dominic is not the exception. I think he's the rule. Really love presenting Marilyn as this idealized example of the fucked up beauty who suffers in Hollywood. And I, I just I have a real issue with it. You know, there's a, a moment in, in this version of Blonde where she gets assaulted and it's cool because it leads to a really big role, um, which ironically in the 01 version of Blonde, that same scene happens, but it leads to actually a smaller role that is true um, and actually makes you like understand her rise more. I mean, to, to, I mean, to continue to go back to the point, I mean, I think my biggest issue is that again, Dominic's viewpoint, it's not original. I think that's what I, I'm trying to say. Is it's not original to Kenneth Branagh or to, to Larry Buchanan, any of the other male directors that have, have told her story. It just is reliant on so much trauma. And not, I don't even think, what's, what I thought was weird is Dominic isn't even talking about what other movies talk about, which is like the mental illness, you know, we, he certainly has moments where she might quote unquote be labeled as crazy, but he doesn't play with that concept as heavily as other movies have. But I think he, he does rely on a lot of tropes that I think what people are frustrated with is that we've seen this before. There's nothing original with what he's coming up with other than it's beautifully filmed and Ana de Armas looks lovely in recreating some of these these Maryland costumes 
but really at the end of the day, he's, he's saying a lot of just the same like exploitative garbage that Maryland people have been like Maryland scholars, I think have been debunking for a lot, a lot of years. What would have been an original take? What would have an innovated film looked like? I mean, Make her I like a say, vixen who's trying to fuck her way to the top. I mean, I mean the baby face angle. Yeah, if we're going Barbara Stanwyck, uh, which I would say though that has been done before. Um, Goodbye, Norma Jean is for as much as that movie is about watching her be assaulted for ninety minutes. It also does have that sequence where she is the vixen that fucks her way to the top. Um, I always say that the the movie I recommend people watch is the twenty fifteen Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe that Laurie Collier directed um, that aired for Lifetime. And that movie's entry point was showing her relationship with her mother and the women in her life. Like the, the male characters are all there, but emphasizing that her mother's, the lack of love she got from her mother is ultimately what damns her and her, like the whole legacy. There's an overarching kind of theme of the legacy of Marilyn being tainted by the failure of women which I think is really interesting because that's not usually a, a, a way in, you know, that most people go the Dominic route of like, she had daddy issues. So mm-hmm. her dad is the reason that she, she was screwed up. And which I, I thought was so bizarre because everything that I've read about Marilyn Monroe, the father thing just never comes up. Her father was certainly a, a, a point, an issue in her life, you know, supp- allegedly the stuff about Gladys saying, Oh, you know, your father is somebody important. That's not true. She did have um, fantasies and, and Marilyn talked openly about, you know, believing Clark Gable was her father for a time. She didn't know there was a man that she assumed was her father. And it's murky about whether they they met. Allegedly, they, they had one meeting. Um, she did have a half sister that she knew about. So there were certainly elements like, yes, she, she wanted definitive proof. But was she living her life around this concept of like, I don't know my dad. It fuels every decision I've ever made, never will make. No, that's not. This is so interesting. I'm looking up this movie that you recommended. It's got some heavy hitters. you got like Susan yeah. Sarandon, Emily Watson, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Empath well, Davids, Peter I McNeil. do love that. I do love that every Joe DiMaggio uh, in every film is a glow up from the real DiMaggio. <laughs> but well, they always Bobby, make him Bobby seem Bobby the Bobby Cannavale showed up shit. and I was like, that's not Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> every Joe DiMaggio I feel is far more like Joe DiMaggio was like kind of a stick figure. Like he was very slight, very tall. And every Joe DiMaggio we get is very beefy. Like, yeah. you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's like a built dude. Bobby Cannavale is a guy that can take a punch. Like, I'm not buying that they're, they, nobody's giving me DiMaggio vibes. That's a definite blow up. That is so funny. Well, yeah. I, I think I think part of it, though, is is to make him more attractive than he is, because like that's that's part of the mystique. Right. Well, is you know, is if you spend five minutes of screen time with this guy, like how do I make him like charming and how do I. Well, you just cast a really handsome, beefy actor. How about that? And it's like, oh, well, OK, yeah, that's a shortcut, you know, <laughs> and it really does. And I think that my. One of the biggest issues I have with the script, Dominic script, is how I feel it often undermines the real relationships in her life. You know, there, there's a sequence where Joe and uh, Marilyn meet and it's been shown in other Marilyn biopics. The 2001 Blonde does the same sequence with uh, Poppy Montgomery and a pre 
pre-Deadwood Titus Welliver playing uh, playing Bellagio. Um, And a lot of their relationship was based on the fact that they were horrifically opposite people. He had never seen any of her movies. She knew nothing about baseball. Um, And they, they both just liked the fact that they were certainly not necessarily sexually attracted to each other, but that they both wanted some, something passing for family. They just had very different ideas of what that was. So, and she was also very much drawn to intelligent men. You know, she read like a book a week, allegedly. Um, She thought Albert Einstein was hot. Which I was like, okay, that's a thing. Um, so I, I just mean, love I how you said allegedly after she read a book a week, as though you had just said she murdered hobos. Some people, some people say, oh, she read like three books a week. So I, I, and if I can't verify it, I usually just go with that because somebody will inevitably say, like, she read more than that. How dare you? She read, she read um, three to twenty-four books a month. <laughs> the bitch could read. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're the proud. Day she can read. Exactly. Her, her, her <laughs> audible <laughs> records show show countless uh, digested volumes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Unabridged versions for days. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I, I think one of the things that that's interesting is, it, like, we kind of started off talking about the fact that this is not a biopic, right? Even though some people are, yes, going to walk into this thinking it is a biopic, which is you know always troublesome to then be like, well, how historical is it? And it's like, well. Like, I just feel like slapping that football out of everybody's hands and just being like, don't watch these things for historical accuracy. Watch right. them. This to is be why they tell you. And like, yeah, like, do not write but, a scholarly essay off the Wikipedia article or the movie. Don't watch the movie and think you can get an A on the reading exam. But the other thing that's interesting is we said all that and yet we keep talking about Marilyn Monroe's life, like real life. And I'm just like, so this is a point that I wanted to make when we talk about like this and like, oh, she like, you know, we make it seem like she has no agency at a certain point. If you were famous enough, you become the sun. You become this enormous, completely universally known and understood thing you can't tell anyone anything new about. And even if you try, it's always like, right, it's the fucking sun. It's that giant thing in the sky. Like, you know, you have to have an entry point usually on like the outside to bring you in because the sun is just too big. Like it's too, it's too all encompassing enormous to just have the thing be about this person, which is why this movie is incredible in its in its way just because of its its unflinching gaze into this sun but that's because it's almost coming from within it and you know you you say like oh like you know it, it makes it like she did she fucking died so like unfortunately every story is going to move inexorably towards that but like every human life moves inexorably towards that and whether you want to say that like that's just how like they're they're gonna go like oh it just makes it seem like they're a victim we're all a victim of mortality and the choices we make no matter what we do will lead us to that and it's interesting to see that laid out one of the reasons why we like to see something like that is it gives a sense of order to it and in this case it can give a sense of order to a lot of systems that are very difficult for the human mind to parse and it can give an insight into a person that we might otherwise 
just think of as a poster on a college wall or that movie that our parents like that we never bothered to actually watch. You know, like there is a humanity here that you only can get to by just giving into the flow, the gravitational pull of her actual story and then filling in as best you can with these moments of human nature and human experience that have to be elevated and and amplified to the grandiosity of her life itself. But it's interesting because I would say that it's it does this weird thing that I think Mank did as well, which Mank was very inside baseball. You know, if you didn't know the players and what was going on in the world, you missed a whole element of that movie. Um, and even as somebody who knew all the players and knew all the bits, I still didn't like them. Yeah, the movie was bad. <laughs> here, I feel like it wants to have its cake and eat it too, because it's saying this isn't about Marilyn and you don't need to have any Marilyn knowledge to watch this movie. And yet... It doesn't give us any indication of why Marilyn was as powerful and why we continue to watch her other than the fact that she was pretty and she died tragically. Like that's, I feel like the central, if you don't know anything about Marilyn, you sit down and you watch this movie, you're going to be like, okay, she was an orphan. She was assaulted. She got famous and she had issues with you know, abortions and babies, and then she died tragically. Like, it gives me no insight into why we are still talking about Marilyn, you know, decades after her demise. And that's, I think, you know, and to hear Andrew Dominic talk in that sight and sound interview about how nobody watches Marilyn movies anymore. You know, I just... I, I... I, I feel I, I understand the vitriol that a lot of people are coming at uh, Andrew Dominic with because I feel like some of the sh- things that he says, he says are, are him firing off the cuff. And it's just it just reeks of you don't understand your own subject matter and that you're just a giant asshole and like you're just talking shit um, because somebody the, said I, he, they think he's trolling at this point. So that's sure. Like, 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 I just, I think, uh, I think I have to separate, like, I cannot hear more excerpts of like Andrew Dominic interviews about this film. Like I'm just done with them because at this point I'm just like, this guy is burying his own movie. Um, and I feel like the movie actually does more credit than he ever could. Um, and that's, that's me saying that and saying that I didn't really enjoy this movie. And I agree with you, Kristen, in a lot of respects that this film doesn't do a lot of things differently. But what I will say is the idea that this film doesn't show her working on her craft is like, patently false false. like like it shows her working on her craft several times in several different acting classes and things like that um it shows her really embracing her her ability to tap into that emotion um you know from the tragedy of her life or wherever it's coming from um you know, it shows her trying to strike out and be in and is knowledgeable about how uh, films are made of various 
these cuts, right? And so they're this take, this take, this take, put it, put it together. And then you watch and you, it's kind of a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing where you just like, I, I mean, I guess that was my performance, but you know, those are 15 different takes put together. And yeah. she, she kind of pushes you know it's it's a tragedy to see her her romance with joe dimaggio at at, at this point because one of the things that she says to him is i want to leave that behind and just go explore like being in a character on on she doesn't say it but very much she's she's like i want to move to new york and you know exactly why she wants to do broadway she wants to be in plays and she's like i want to inhabit these characters and i found that really really interesting unfortunately that takes place in the middle of her getting beat up by him for being a misogynist asshole and like all of these other things like it's it's just surrounded by tragedy all the time and it's it's just sad to watch and i feel like that is why i didn't ultimately enjoy it because if if you highlight those moments and you actually like blow them up and expand them i think there's something really interesting in here we also get another sequence where she's kind of pushing back i think it's uh gentlemen prefer blondes when she's getting the casting call about that film and she's like okay but what is the other actress getting and she's like well this is bullshit i am the blonde in this film who Uh, must we forget gentlemen prefer yeah and she even says that right like that's a great line and i i found like that sense of agency i just don't see it enough in this film to enjoy also getting buffeted by the relentless tragedy of her life like and uh, yeah so no no i was i was i was gonna i was gonna completely agree with you and i think that that's ultimately this movie's biggest undoing is you know i always there's certain movies that i feel like oh if this movie had just been i feel like there's a, a decent hour and 45 minute movie in here somewhere that would have just been about those moments of Marilyn actively fighting against the the studio system. You know, but that would have been such like a didactic, like just bore of I, a movie. Like I that would have been. No, I, really I certainly terrible. think there's a way that would have been interesting. I mean, and, and at this hey, point, well, you, I, I was going to say, Brian, we had a movie called Mank that was fucking awful that was was insufferable okay but like if if someone can make that movie like of the 15 marilyn monroe movies can i doesn't mean they're gonna make it well like and that's the problem is you said hey we had that movie it was called mank it was fuck awful it was an f movie it was a bad film find that movie why would you want to try to recreate that movie in in this way like i think but i think the biggest issue though is that you all of those amazing moments that, that Bill brought up, you know, are just drenched by the, the the elements that feel very much like, I don't know if they're necessarily, I don't want to say personal opinion, but that just don't really have the same same tone. You know, talking fetuses, watching Marilyn watch Niagara <laughs> while she's being, while she's the vagina being, cam. Know, uh, the vagina cam, um, and there's there's a really interesting element of watching Anna de Armas play Marilyn Monroe as this woman that 
yes, is presumed to be just this hot chick, uh, you know, shut up and act and, and, you know, you don't even need to act. You can just show up. Uh, I think there's, there's a scene in the original blog where she says she gets a role because she was walking away. You know, I think there's a really within this, this film hints at that. Yeah. Yeah. And within this blonde, there is a really interesting series of sequences. You know, I think that moment when she first meets Arthur Miller and he's talking about um, Magda, the woman that he has idealized in his play. And she starts talking about all these things and like giving him suggestions. And he turns into like a complete like film bro. Who's just like, you don't know my intent. How dare you? And she's like, no, I actually like, understand what you're writing um i think those are all individually really really strong moments that i feel like if they weren't like like bill said buffeted with all of this trauma porn would have just made a far stronger but so what would that movie be like her just being like a competent actress and then oops she randomly died one day like (laughs) oh no what the fuck happened she was doing so great like oh my god you know, where Marilyn Monroe was definitely a woman that that did blaze a trail. I mean, she was she was investigated by HUAC. She had to uh, talk to the studio about like morality clauses because she posed nude for a calendar. I think that there are plenty of ways, entry points to talk about her as, as a poster child for this concept, you know, that we're seeing like post me too of like, women screwed over by the industry. I think there's a way to do it. If we can give a male director like carte blanche with, with one of the most famous figures in the world in, in popular culture and said like, you can make whatever you want. And he made a movie about talking fetuses. Like, damn it. I think we can make a movie that doesn't undermine Marilyn and actually gives her. That, I don't that think that this, I think about it's the studio system. I don't, th- I think it's weird that we keep saying this movie undermines Marilyn. I don't think it does. I, I reject the premise. <laughs> I mean, Strongly disagree. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think it, it does enough to give her any kind of booing force though. In this film, I think, yeah. I think it explores it just enough to kind of give us that hint and give us that taste. But I find that to be much more interesting than to see her pop pills for the endless time. Like I I just, and I, I get that this film, if it is portraying, portraying Marilyn Monroe, that it kind of not has to, but it, it, it would be almost a disservice uh, to not go down that route a little bit. But th- the other thing about this that I find interesting is the timing of this film, because this film is kind of coming out in a time where, you know, post me Too and all of this stuff, I feel like, you know, Adrian Brody, I don't know the context of, of that quote that, that I heard earlier, but the fact that like, he's kind of out here going, yeah, the, the trauma, you know, you're supposed to want to look away from, from her life in a lot of ways, because it was very traumatic and it was, it it did have all of this tragedy around it. And like, I think that's actually kind of fair. I think that's actually kind of good, but also I don't know if, if, and 
you know, Kristen, I'm going to kind of rely on you a little bit because, you know, you have seen a lot of these movies, uh, many more than I have. Um, I've only seen a handful of them. And, you know, if you're telling me that a lot of these films kind of are, you know, exploring it usually in, in this general direction of, of showing all the tragedy and all the trauma that she went through, then I don't know why we're getting another two and a half hour version of, of mainly that like it is those little insights and those little pieces that I find kind of rekindled my interest in this film because uh, I mean, I just, I just don't need to see her go down on the president. Like it just, that doesn't doesn't need to happen we talked before we began recording about the 17 different versions of Anna Karenina I mean like why do we need 17 versions of that like this is a conversation we've had a weird amount of times on this podcast of like oh another story about like cops and robbers like oh why do we need that it's uh, because there's a hunger for it because people want it because every artist has their own thing that they want to add to it and sometimes they live and sometimes they die and like their visions can be a failure or not but like why are we asking why again? Like, why sh- we should like be demanding people revisit topics more often? Like, there's I nothing like settled. <laughs> with Maryland specifically, and I just did a video on my my TikTok, shameless plug for my TikTok about. Oh, oh my God! You just hit all the Brian. <laughs> you, you just hit a home Let's run talk for about Brian. TikTok. <laughs> oh my shameless God! Plug for my it's TikTok. <laughs> I did a video about three other old Hollywood actors that deserve biopics more than Marilyn at this point. Okay, but and, those aren't, are they going to make money? Like, that's like well, one that's, of the problems. But that's, that's the thing. that And that, I think, is a, another issue that we don't talk about when we talk about Marilyn biopics. The reason why Marilyn continues to be dug up, so to speak, is because she is a, a figure that you don't need to prep an audience for, name recognition-wise, you know, and the movies make money. And, and I think that that leads to a bigger, a far bigger question about how old Hollywood biopics specifically still remain focused on white actors. The like same three white performers of old Hollywood, like Marilyn, um, Howard Hughes. There's probably one more that I can't think of. Elvis. (laughs) Elvis. Thank you. I feel like, I guess we have gotten a couple of movies about him. Yeah. So, I mean, and that really does keep the worldview of old Hollywood very, very small and narrow. Like we just assume, oh, nobody else did anything of, of substance in that time period. It particularly undermines, you know, any old Hollywood actors of color um, who probably have very interesting stories. But again, the, the studio belief is that like, who the hell cares who this person is? Nobody knows who Hattie McDaniel is. Nobody wants a biopic about her. Um so I think that a bit, another big reason why people just get sick of Marilyn is because it's just so remarkably easy at this point. To- well, she's like the bombshell. That, have we said yeah. that people are sick of it? I thought people loved her and were upset. Like, this is a whole different... People love, they are upset. But at the same time, we're also so sick of seeing just like exploitative bad movies. We're just like... I don't just know who this mythical we out. you're talking about is, but uh, this the, movie was I great. The, so. We the Marilyn. Uh, we the, the three other podcasters on well, this podcast. I wanted to bring this up. Like I, I talked with a couple people about how I had to see this Marilyn movie this weekend. And uh, I, like none of them have ever seen a Marilyn movie. Like many of my contemporaries have never watched a Marilyn Monroe movie. Yeah, most of that. I mean, 
mean, uh, this is probably- Wait, when you say, the, I'm sorry, you mean a movie starring Marilyn Monroe or a movie about Marilyn Monroe? A movie Monroe? starring Marilyn Monroe. And oh. I would assume oh, moving Jesus. on from that- I feel- I feel bad for them. They they're missing out on some good yeah. times. Well, again, I like you know, uh, not to not to uh, I don't know, be the defender of the common man. A lot of people don't give a shit about old movies, and like I think they should. But like I'm not about to say that like everyone needs to run out and see a Marilyn Monroe movie or like think I less mean, of them. Like, and I can 100 percent if I were to if I were to talk generally out in the world about Marilyn Monroe, I would probably say like, yeah, people aren't at this moment going out and seeing a lot. Like generally the human population of North America is not running out and seeing a bunch of old Marilyn Monroe movies. Like they're aware of them. They could probably tell you the last line of uh, some like it hot, but they probably never watched it. I mean, it's a dialectic, you know, the, Films fuel the culture and the culture fuels the film. So, right, I mean, but she's Mar- become, it, she has reached a kind of mimetic status. Like there's, yeah, like she doesn't, you, you don't need to see her films anymore to understand her. You see one picture of her and there is something totemic about it that like echoes within the unconscious. And you're like, oh yeah, right. No, this makes all the sense in the world to me. Right. There's that and picture because- of her like kissing at the camera. There's the thing that they do in this movie with the, the subway grate. Like you see those. And there is something electric inherent in the image where you're like, this is obviously a very famous image. And that woman was a star. Well, I'll give you an example of this. So in college, I was taking a video art making class. And I don't know how I chose this as my final project for the movie that was like probably two minutes long. But it was it was just me taking old Marilyn Monroe quotes and then doing like you know almost like photoshop style video art around it and in hindsight i'm like i don't even understand why i chose marilyn monroe because at that point in my life 20 years old i had never seen a marilyn monroe movie yeah the the most i had ever come close to it was watching norma jean and marilyn probably nonstop on hbo when i was like seven years old (laughs) that was it like i knew more about her life than I knew about her own art. And that is, my guess is probably most people. Yeah, she is She is more important to most people as a celebrity than as an artist. And I think this movie- As an image, not even as a celebrity. Yeah, this movie wrestles with that because it constantly shows her wanting to be an artist as you know, Bill very eloquently laid out in opposition to Kristen's uh, assertion that this movie didn't at all get into her seriousness with her art. Like she's talking about it constantly. She, she, she makes Arthur Miller realize that the woman he was obsessed with when he was younger was probably illiterate because she has a better read on the character that he created around her than he himself did. Yeah. And, and I don't think the movie he does her, her for as much a disservice. Like, she is shown to be smart in the film. She's she's shown to be vulnerable. Like my issue with this movie isn't so much that it's exploitative, but that it's stylistic choices bang you over the head with this story. Like I have seen Marilyn Monroe movies. They all kind of, uh, when I'm, I've seen Marilyn Monroe biopics, they follow a very similar trajectory. They have all a very similar point of view for the most part, you know, with some changes thereof, but like they're in rather my, my 
anger toward this movie has everything to do with Dominic's wanting so hard to prove that he is an artist. It it just it goes into tragic comedy. Like it go I'm not worried about whether this movie empathizes with her or not. I think it does. I'm not worried about what this movie makes her seem to be an artist. It tries to like she's not a brainless moron in this movie, but I think the obsession like the obsession that the character has with her own story and the obsession she has with herself just makes the movie crater. It, it crumbles by the end. Like I was so thrown in the, like, I don't know, two and two hours. in, I just kept thinking like fucking end already. Like if it's this bad, just end, like, why are we prolonging this torture? It, 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 I just, I, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. Ten going years ago, I was thinking point. the same thing, but I'm still here, so I don't know. <laughs> it, they, it, the movie brings me to this place of just like God. If she's so miserable, just like let, just like let it go, babe. Like, <laughs> and we haven't even Robin, talked I'm about. I'm glad we weren't friends ten years ago. <laughs> I feel like you would have given me some really dark advice. No, but I'm this is like, also but why I, I no never res- talk about my mental health issues. Okay, no, I'm not saying. I would never think that about a real person, but she's not a real person in this movie. She's, she's like a golem. It, it, she never feels like somebody that but do you really want like the Gus Van Sant last days version of Marilyn Monroe. Like, do you want like all natural lighting, handheld cameras, like mumbled dialogue, like maybe more so. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised so. we haven't gotten that actually. I give it ten years. It's, it's in the I, post. I, 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 I want. I want yeah. the favorite. I want the favorite version of this. I want. I want this you to want be her hilarious. Lobsters. I, I yeah. think that when when people ask me like what type of Marilyn biopic I want at this point, I feel like, and I would not have told you this a couple of years ago. I want just the Boslerman. Like after watching Elvis, I like, <laughs> yes. Just give me the. I just want a style. montage. <laughs> Yes, montage like, recreation. Sparkles. <laughs> and you can even include some fictional, like, dude in, you know, a fat suit and jowly makeup talking with a crazy accent. Like, I think right. I just what if What if all point. Baz Luhrmann movies from now on just had the colonel in them? <laughs> and it's just I, I Tom Hanks. They just like, had uh, just Tom Hanks. It's me. Just Here I am on on uh, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Oh, let's see what <laughs> I, get feel, into. I feel like the Colonel could have really just been like with Marilyn's story. Like, why did she want to kill herself? I must figure this out. No, the Colonel in this movie would have been her father. Like, yes. <laughs> the Colonel in this movie. The Phantom of her dad. Marilyn is She has a couple Colonels in this movie. She's got. She's got her her not actually her father. She's got um Mr. Shin. She's got uh what's his face? Whitey. <laughs> Wait, who who are Whoa, hold so, on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, Robin, your Robin, mic's gone y- bad again. You're getting too excited, Robin. Calm down. Did hit my mic in exuberance because I speak <laughs> like a Jew. So. You're better now. <laughs> I, I just hit things. Um, For everyone listening who doesn't have context, Robin is in fact Jewish, so that was not an offensive thing she just said. I, I am Jewish and I speak with my hands, even on a podcast. So 
I'm confused because I think we got really far into the weeds talking about what what this Marilyn is or isn't. We don't really talk a lot about like the various elements in this movie. Like we haven't talked about her three-way relationship that I don't even know if that was a Joyce Carol Oates fiction or not. It was. Okay. Because oh, I tried to Google it and it's like Google did not give me a lot of results. We also did not talk I didn't. about how one of those characters pretends to be writing her letters from her father that give her some semblance of comfort. And then when they stop, she kills herself for real. With Although I think Brian does. Oh, uh, I, I, that. I, I didn't pause that sequence to actually read that note because it doesn't Bill. stay on screen. It, it doesn't stay on screen for very long. So oh, I was just like, God. okay, well, I guess I guess I wasn't supposed to, you know, read Again, that. I was fucking exhausted and I was able to read it without pausing. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Uh I, I don't need that context. <laughs> like I didn't have the opportunity to pause. So there's a lot of these like little things here and there that really like do make this its own movie whether or not it it um telegraphs exactly to her life or not and it's and it's those it's the dichotomy between what they're trying what dominic is trying to present about her life and how he does it and what he focuses on my point is my my issues with this movie are not so much whether this is marilyn or not marilyn but the stylistic choices that dominic makes that that um, start to make me feel like I'm in some kind of like Iron Maiden and that's just <laughs> slammed around in it. Well, yeah, I mean, if if that's, I mean, that's that's a non, almost like a non-debatable point. Like, you know, if you're not into it, then you're not into it. There's nothing to be said about that. Like, yeah, I don't know. But I, I am curious what you all think about those, um, like the plot elements, like, Loved how him. did we feel Great. about the obsession with the missing father? And how did we feel about Julianne Nicholson sort I mean, of doing the crazy mom thing, which we've seen a million times? Look, a lot of I people mean, got I, crazy moms. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you should feel seen, Robin. This is great representation. The, the, yeah, but it's the, all yeah. cliche. It's very cliche. Um, I, I, I would I mean, again point to me. I don't like I just the movie is is ratcheted to a point where I don't know that it can escape cliche. And I would argue that the movie is almost saying that this is the type of thing that creates the cliche. The trauma is the thing that no, creates that, the cliche. Like the, the fact that it exists and exists for people of such stature is what creates the cliche. Like. I don't know how to say it better than that. If, if you write and direct a movie, though, then you have the option to be like, and especially if you are like, if you have this romance with the two guys and you're clearly going down this route of being a fictionalized retelling of Marilyn Monroe's life, then why not play with that a little bit more? Why not? break that mold. Why not do something a little bit different? Like, I mean, that is, that is full sale. Like the option on the table is to have her have a mom, a loving mom and have a dad, like, but like, and what? just Does tell that, that story. Interesting. Like then you just really should make it a completely fictionalized person. 
Well, I mean, I think that was the whole point of Joyce Carol Oates a little bit was to kind of, you know, meld different different women across kind of a time span that had similarly tragic kind of beginnings and ends of Marilyn Monroe and kind of weave that into her own story, which is, you know, kind of would her would her having a happy, normal mother enhance and make better the story that Dominic was trying to tell? Or would that be a completely different movie? I mean, obviously it would. Yeah. yeah, obviously it, w- it would be a different movie. So I think right? the answer to your question of why not change it is because that would be a completely different movie. But with the line being okay. that this <laughs> is fiction, but with the line being that, oh, well, the you can't be upset that it's not historically accurate because it is fiction, then why at that point could he not change it? Why would he want to? Okay. Well, what I clearly... If this is... The, if he had carte blanche to make this movie... What purpose would it serve for him to suddenly retroactively give her like an ideal childhood? How would that enhance the the mythopoetic story that he's trying to tell about the innate, inescapable, gravitational tragedy of her life? Because he's because maybe he isn't trying to and 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 this is this kind of gets into the messy weeds of whether he thinks this is a, a Marilyn Monroe biopic or not, right? And I I honestly I don't, think he don't it's a care. Monroe biopic. Okay, well then then why is he hewing to like exactly what Kristen's saying? Like why not just? go forth and and i understand when you make a fairy tale the sky is still blue and gravity still exists like sure like there's a dragon but like aren't there aspects and elements that we still need to pull from reality in order to tell the story that we want to tell like why didn't he just set it in the future why didn't he just have her be a car like we could say fucking whatever we wanted to like sure but there are certain elements that he could have i mean Marilyn Monroe's mother, Gladys, was not that insane. Like, well, the so then there you go. He did change it. There, you're happy right. now, he made, right? He, he made it. Well, he made her. He made her far more insane than she actually was. Like, he never burned a house. Ever. Right, and, and that's so, I mean, him I, not hewing to reality exactly how exactly. you all would like him to be. But I think that he's he's doing that by just cranking it up to thirteen and being like, yes, love this. Right again in the sort of epic sweep of the story. He has decided to make everything more intense than it was. But I think then you can't be surprised when people are saying that it's essentially true. I'm not surprised by it. I'm saying I can ignore them outright because all of their concerns are invalid. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to make a a bad faith argument against this movie, I don't have a reason to talk to you about this movie because if that's just how it is, like we could be talking about Pixar and you'd be like, oh, Cars, like, why didn't they make it about boats? And it's like, I don't know. Can we talk about the fact that this is the movie Cars? And it's like, I don't know. I want to keep talking about boats. And it's like, fucking fantastic. Go talk to someone else then. I'm here I to have like a conversation about Cars. I talking about the movie as it is. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like, I I feel like you are here. turning this to 11 and we're all being like, well, we'd rather it be a five and actually have a conversation. <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to have a conversation. So, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's not my read of it either. I feel like. I feel like I, I don't like understand why we, we've to... spent an hour and 40 minutes talking about how this is or isn't Marilyn. 
And even when we attempt to talk about the movie on its own terms, we still get hung up on the fact that it's like, well, if it's not really about Maryland, why didn't he change it? It's like, I don't know, but he didn't. So, like, can we stop asking why? And can we talk about the movie and how we responded to it? I, I, I thought that was what we have been doing. So you were incorrect, sir. <laughs> oh, OK. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad you're keeping down this line of action. <laughs> um. No, I, I think I think one thing that's interesting is the two characters that she has a a romance with. They like kind of backstab her a bit, and I, I was really struck by that. I didn't know, like I couldn't figure out the motivation there because it does seem like they are fairly well off. One apparently is Charlie Chaplin's like son and you know i guess i guess silent film stars maybe didn't make a lot of money um but you know i still feel like he is part of hollywood royalty and for him to or for both of them to like approach joe dimaggio with those photos and kind of like threaten to like expose her is just a like she already had the playboy pinup i think come out by that time so i'm just like uh okay (laughs) like there's there is you know someone can go buy that off the rack right now like i I don't know what you're doing same conversation you have about like oh well if you can see an actress naked in a movie why do people google her nudes when they leak like it's there is there is something about the violation of the privacy that makes such things more valuable to a prurient audience I'm I'm not saying that that's like invalid here, but what I am saying is I don't understand why, why they are doing that in that particular moment. And it also doesn't, it also isn't a huge game changer in that way. Like it's, it's just more of what is already out there. Like this is, this is the whole idea of like, you know, giving access to you know uh, the internet and people being afraid that like they're going to i don't know you know young boys are you know going to look up certain things and it's just like oh okay well but that's the internet like uh do you just want to take that away so you know there's a certain level of just like i don't understand why why this is a game-changing moment um and it's kind of treated that way and it's also like, I don't know, I, I was just very confused because it seemed like they had a genuine respect and a genuine affection for her. And that that all turned. It definitely feels like a lack of defined character motivation in that scene. Like they they start out as one set of characters and then they become these guys that are just like, well, we're going to try to make a dollar by blackmailing her, which when Marilyn marries the DiMaggio character in the mid fifties, she was already a well-known star by that point. So yes, you know, she did a lot of nude modeling early in her career and it would have certainly been a problem for a studio, not for her husband. Um, So I think that the way the movie plays that sequence is that them going to her husband specifically and showing them these photos is more of a means of fueling the domestic violence between the pair, um, which, again, like historically did exist. um, But it it just 
the characters don't feel like they're these guys that would necessarily be like, oh, we love you. Everything's great. But we're also going to find some of these nudes and send them to your husband. So it, it, it just, it, there's no context or motivation. It just feels like a complete 180 from where these characters started. Well, they have a lot of conversations about how those characters are like the juniors, they call themselves, because they are the sons of famous actors. And the thing that they like about her is her her self-made kind of, of mythology. You know, they like the fact that she got to choose her name because, as they say, they were known before they were even born by dint of having their father's names. I think there's always been a level of jealousy and envy there that at a certain point, Curdles, when they see her her name that she chose becoming this massive selling point for these these motion pictures that these guys have been a part of but are not are not really part of like they'll never match their father and like Norma Jean is- gets to completely invent this new like she is the Ur Marilyn Monroe there's never been a Marilyn Monroe Kaz had to take a terrible nickname to get out from under the shadow of his father, Charlie. Um, and, you know, he died in Alki's death, which I uh, would assume means that by that point, they probably already were even more substance addicted than they were when they were with her. So to me, it it, it was like, a, it, it made sense. It doesn't make it good, obviously. But I, I didn't have a problem seeing that heel turn because even when they were in love, there were still these like kind of barbed moments where they were like, oh, that name sounds so fake, but we love that. We love that about you. Oh my God, that's so great. But also like, uh, you're, you get to be whoever you want to be and we have to be our father's sons. And so I, I felt it. I saw it. it. I hated every time that it happened. That moment when we find out that Kaz um, was her writing her as her teal, tearful father and that strike through of the word love is especially gutting. I mean, it all made sense. It just sucked because in terms of showing her as like a happy, healthy, fulfilled person, her in that threesome was like the closest we got to that. And and it's it's another one of those things where like, you know, of course, the only time Marilyn could be happy with a man is actually with two men. Like, because <laughs> that's just the size of her. Like she she must need more than one to be satisfied. Uh, and not even in a sexual way, but like in an emotional way. I do. I do see some of the charged moments there as well, the, or the barbed moments. Um, I noticed that kind of underlying tension the entire time that she was with them was this is they are enjoying this. But I felt like she was always on the precipice of getting fucked over by them. Um, I just didn't see it as much that by the end they had curdled this much and it's interesting that you don't really see them i don't know i mean this film could be obvious or it could not and i just i wanted it to be a little bit more obvious in this particular moment so i thought it kind of fell failed there there is there is a lot to read into some of that stuff. I think sometimes I, I think the more we talk about this movie, the more I sort of wish it had maybe taken a little bit more of a chronological approach because 
I ended up filling in a lot of what I knew about her life just from, you know, listening to podcasts and watching other movies and just knowing what I know about her, you know. And I kind of wondered if I, like, as a knowledgeable audience member, you know, how did, how is this experience different from somebody who doesn't know a lot about Marilyn's life and, and is seeing her life sort of pr- presented, you know, as, okay, here's the the tragedy of her childhood and immediately we go into her career without that in-between stage, without the, without the first marriage, without the modeling gigs, without, you know, the, the factory work, like, was there at any time where you're just sort of like, how, how did we get here? Uh, Cause it, there's quite a big gap that, that is missing. I think that doesn't, that still doesn't explain a lot about her character and maybe for Dominic's point of view, that start of her life doesn't matter as much. Like the, I'm sorry, I should, I should say the start of her career doesn't matter as much because once you get to the casting couch, that is what creates her persona. But I'm not sure I, I necessarily agree with that take. I'm curious, Kristen and I, Brian, you said maybe you did, don't know a lot about her, like going from somebody who knows a lot about her life versus somebody who kind of admittedly doesn't like, did that strike you in any way, either of you? For me, I've always, I, I always consider it. And I, I deal with other biopics. So it is not just this one, but anytime you jump from like, they were a child to now they're famous. I feel like that's bad screenwriting. Um, but in, in Marilyn's case, I do think we needed that those, those early years in foster care and the first marriage to in Joyce Carol Oates' book, his, his name is Bucky Blazer. In real life, his name was his was Jim Dougherty. So, I'm sorry, is, did you say Bucky Barnes? Whoa, no. Bucky no. Blazer? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. That, Buck, oh, not, Glazer. Glazer. Not, okay. Not one of the better Joyce Carol Oates names. Um, but, <laughs> but watching her as a child, feeling that abandonment, you know, and, and the, the 2001 Blonde, does give that more time. You know, you see her um, try to find mother figures and father figures in her life. Um, there's an extended sequence in the O1 Blonde where she has, a, a as a teenager, has a foster mother played by Kirstie Alley, of all people, um, that, she <laughs> really, that she really bonds with. Um, and unfortunately, the husband starts giving... Norma Jean the eye and the the mother or the the foster mom says no we have to get you married so that you can be safe and and you can essentially be in a, a relationship that's going to offer you protection from men um and I think that would have been very interesting to see how how Dominic would have treated that relationship because I think that what the movie wants to show is not just the casting couch and not just how men failed Marilyn as as an actress and as a, a woman but also i think how women kind of failed her as well you know in the the 2001 version it's very much saying like everybody was complicit in marilyn's downfall nobody had her best interests at heart and everybody just wanted to either protect her or control her um and so i would have liked to have seen some of that that showcase and, and especially yeah the factory work and the modeling she toiled for a really long time um and again felt more like a working actor you know if, if the concept of how she broke into the industry is supposed to 
be something for odd, you know, somebody like a, the Dream Factory, kind of showing how Marilyn's entry uh, into Hollywood was either horrific or positive. Like, I think that it would have been an. an I don't know. I think that showing her as as kind of trying to build up a repertoire and a portfolio and all of these things, like it wasn't just this meteoric rise. Uh, but but again, for the story that we're telling in the time that we already are utilizing two hours and 47 minutes, like I understand where he's like, oh, nope, just screw all that. We're going to get right to fame. Uh, it makes more sense that way. I was actually sort of dreading like, oh, God, we're going to get the factory thing. Like we're going to have to see the build up. I was I was happy to skip over that cuz like I I don't know how Baz Luhrmann did it cuz I was worried about the same thing in Elvis, but like that one scene where he's like backstage and the colonel's like talking about his childhood and the way Baz just like you know musically like builds the rhythm between like th- three different eras all at once colliding into this like electric performance is fantastic and i i love it i don't know that i would have wanted that or you know expected to see that in this movie so i was i was actually like shocked how quickly it moves from like all right you're at the orphanage and now you're getting the casting couch treatment like i was i was like blown away it it was and and especially with how entrancing the childhood stuff was it was like it was like a slap in the face to just suddenly be in that and just to feel like, oh, my God, how did we get here? And I think that that was intentional. I think that was like the sensation you were supposed to get. And then to have someone say like, oh, you don't have to read. You got the part. And they're like, what? And they say, yeah, as long you know, if, you're, if your name is Marilyn Monroe, the part is yours. Like we've got the edicts. And just to to have that sensation of like, oh, that's how I got this and I don't like that. Like, that's again why I would say it's not like a silver lining because she wants to earn the parts that she gets. It's like, she goes in and reads for Nell and I think she would be very upset to know that the reason that this movie cl- like states that she got that movie is because the director's like, hey, look at the ass on her after she gave like a harrowing incredible read that those men talk they about they shitted on right Absolutely. but they should but the funny thing is if you listen to everything they said if if marlon brando had come in and given a similar performance everything mm-hmm. they said would have been positive yep yeah which is yeah. like a fucking fantastic i was listening to that i was like i'm sitting here as a as a film critic in 2022 being like oh they fucking loved it and instead <laughs> they're like ugh. Jesus Christ. But again, if this were on the waterfront, they'd be like, ah, oh, Marlon. <laughs> In <laughs> so exactly that, that voice. The movie too. showcases misogyny without hammering it, hammering you over the head with it. Like, is that your thesis? I think you get a little hammered with it, but it's certainly less didactic than I was expecting. I mean, half the reason I didn't want to see this movie is that I didn't want to see the movie. It sounds like some of you guys watched, which is just like, I don't know. It just it it would have felt a lot more like preachy organ music in the background, like oh poor Norma. I think there's something to be said for like the kind of uh, operatic way that it treats those things that it's allows so you to experience to them and understand them without having to feel like smothered by them. I actually think I felt smothered by it because 
of the expressionism. Like interesting. That, oh God. I so that's just my... the way you and I would react to things. Cause like if I, if I did get the Gus Van Sant last days treatment, I would have fucking checked out of this movie. I, I would have gone to bed and then half watched it while I was at the distillery today. But I feel like it does say to go to Robin's point. I feel like at least the movie I watched does say poor Norma, but I feel like it's saying that like, frothing at the mouth like poor norma yeah watch, watch it all take it <laughs> like, like poor yes. norma like <laughs> yes. get me that bottle of jergens like <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly yes jergens <laughs> i'm gonna add that to the list of words you're not allowed to say anymore <laughs> jergens <laughs> <laughs> Jurgens and Daddy, put them together and you'll have the worst Daddy. Ever. <laughs> oh no. Give me a no. second. I'm gonna go on Twitter and see if the name Jurgens Daddy is taken. <laughs> Bioshock references have gone all wrong here. All wrong. <laughs> None of this is good. But I but I agree with you, Kristen, that it did feel frothy to me. It was like but how much more can we make her suffer? How many more tears can fall down her beautifully creamy cheeks? All right, you're not allowed to say creamy anymore either. <laughs> creamy Jurgens, Daddy. <laughs> I will say, anyone out there in listener land, Jurgens, Daddy is unclaimed on Twitter. So have fun with that. Go for it, Brian. I'm not fucking doing that. I think frothy also needs to be added. No, I didn't have a problem with oddly enough. Hmm. Maybe the next time she says it. I I shan't. Okay, great. I just I would love to see things from your brain. No, you wouldn't. I do. I Absol- really do. You mean like for a visit, right? Like. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> okay. there'll be no homunculus. Yeah, a two-hour, t- a two-hour movie version, not the, not the two I hours want, forty-five I want minute. Being John Malkovich, version. but it's like being Brian Rowan. Yeah, it sounds terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, like you know, I've hated enough movies over the course of your time on this podcast. But I feel like you know I can hate a movie. I know, and it's funny. It's funny to me the ones that you really like chew on. That it's just intriguing you're not allowed to say chew anymore either <laughs> chewing on that New, not like that anyway <laughs> by the end of this she's gonna have to be speaking cleon <laughs> as or a star me. trek reference but yeah no there i like i said no, we know <laughs> okay well the, the 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 dead silence did not say uh, i i appreciated brian's response there <laughs> i made an e joke sort of Oh, God, I'm so happy that I don't have to watch that movie. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah, looking forward to it. I can't. Give me them 3D. Give, give me them 3D glasses. I'm going to watch Blonde twice in the time it takes you all to watch Avatar 2. I think you need a 3D version of Blonde. Oh, Jesus. No. The, ba- the baby <laughs> sequence. Oh, no. All those Malik blowy. <laughs> <laughs> All those Malachist shots of uh, babies and wombs. Can we talk about the JFK blowing sequence? Because I think that maybe what broke me it was like by that point, I was just like, just let her go peacefully, man. There's What's so funny many, is that I don't have a so problem with you saying blowing for whatever say. reason, but creamy is really setting me <laughs> off. 
in a everything, way? everything about that sequence, the lead up to it, and then you know, she's like, all, "This is like kidnapped." Yeah, I found that really, really fascinating and interesting more than I found the sequence of him like getting blown. Like, I, I honestly <laughs> would have preferred the movie had just given me my my two and a half, three minutes back there you know, and just like stopped there because I thought all of that sequence leading up to that was so harrowing and so just like... It, to me, that was actually interesting to see what it looked like Jackie Kennedy just sitting there while she's like being like manhandled into the room. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, this is absolutely insane. And, you know. <laughs> and he's having a phone conversation about his own yes. sexual harassing yeah. behavior. Oh, you know that phone conversation just made it better for him. Fucking piece of shit. Really? (laughs) I think I was more thrown in the in the immediate moment. I think I was more thrown by just how the guy who's playing him looked like a weird. I thought like he was in a JFK suit. I was just like, why does your face look so weird with the hair and the? That man has previously played John Fitzgerald Kennedy. That's interesting. I, I looked him up. Act, there's an actress that is known for only playing Marilyn in, in any scene that requires Marilyn. So I, I find <laughs> I find the concept of like actors who are stuck only playing one famous historical figure very fascinating. That must be that I need a movie about that kind of actor. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry, dude, you look too much like JFK. So I can't cast you in this movie about like football players in Minnesota. But uh <laughs> I've got a I've got a two day thing of JFK and a different thing if you I, want to have that. I know you really had your heart set on this Disney Channel original film, but unfortunately, <laughs> it does not require JFK. So we're we're gonna go with some else. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry, you look too much like Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what I appreciated about it is because I am no Kennedy fan let's just say wow how and dare so, you he was a hero <laughs> i a lot of people feel that way i know and so i do appreciate that it it really is not hagiographic in any way um nope. that it's just like this guy was a piece of fucking shit Here he was go. a piece of fucking shit i mean at least to like the women in his life he'd like that's 100%. the best part about well the best the best part about him the thing about this movie <laughs> what, what i appreciated about this moment in the movie is when you say like Marilyn Monroe, so you have her in your head, had an affair, which is kind of a romantic term, with JFK. Oh, the boy king of Camelot who became the the president, tragically killed by between one and 700 people, according to Oliver Stone (laughs) movies. Um, You know, you're like, oh my God, can you imagine her like with the big sunglasses and like a shawl on her head, like walking into the white house, you know, pretending to be someone else. And then, Oh, they grapple with each other in the Lincoln bedroom and spend a lazy day in bed together. And it's like, that's probably not how it happened. And I would, I would, I would bet that the shit that we see in this movie is probably close to the truth. Cause that man by all accounts was a sexual compulsive who lasted about a minute with every single person he was with. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to believe that. And, and you know, that. If- there are women who have come forward as saying that they raped them, that he raped them rather. Yeah. 
for what it's worth. Kristen, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say my only criticism is, yeah, knowing what I knew about JFK, like, from what I'd read about his sexual prowess, I was like, well, this scene's going on a lot. Well, again, talk about a glow up. And she even says that. She's like, this is going to be over quick. It's fine. Let's just, like, be done with this. Jesus. Yeah, no, it was that was rough, and like you know, it is it is one, it, but it is one of those things where it's like just systematically peeling away the layers of like this fantasy, and like this is like a terrible thing that's happening to be to be treated that way by the, the fucking president of the United States. You know, it's uh, it's fucked up. But so you know, it's again one of those things about the movie that I I'm not saying I was into it, but I get. I get the vision here. I get the purpose of wanting to deglamorize what is seen as the ultra glamorous. I get that artistic choice, but I think by hour three, I was just like, please end my misery. Get me out of here. Like there's, there's one, there's one, something to be said about like the intellectual appreciation. And then another thing to be like lizard brain. I, I need to, unfurl myself from this situation <laughs> it just and that's where i struggled with it like i was not you know not against i was not like against the movie for most of the movie like i was actually or for the year I preceding was with it. <laughs> it i was with the movie like i coming into it i kept thinking like oh like is anna Darmas like the right choice for this you know is she going to be able to i was really worried about her, her being able to do the voice and there are so many sequences where she does embody Marilyn well enough, like visually or, you know, even um, like orally that, that I was not worried Whoa. about those things. She said oral folks. She said oral. Not oh, oral. I mean, <laughs> to, to, to talk about Anna de Armas and the accent, you know, I was really, I was worried about that as well. I'd heard rumors from, from people in the industry that there were, possibly going to be some sort of AI thing where they were oh, going shit, to, really? to blend her voice with Marilyn. Oh um, my do God. Some type of dubbing um, to, to deal with the fact that um, Anadarmus does have a very pronounced Cuban accent. Um, and I think that she does really well in modulating her voice. Um, and the movie also does, does the smart thing of, you know, Marilyn didn't talk with the breathy voice. Uh, she she had a, a normal speaking voice, and I think Anna Darmus does really well. My biggest complaint was that she's so soft spoken. I think possibly as a way to modulate the accent that I had trouble hearing some of what she was saying. Mm. Uh, but that's what subtitles are for. Uh, so it worked out okay. Um, and I think I do think that if there's a positive that I I keep telling people when they ask me what I think about this, she's the positive for me. Uh, I think yeah, that she I she works that. really well with the with what she is given. Um, and I think that, you know, she she gives a performance. Is it my favorite Marilyn performance uh, by an a- other actor that's not Marilyn playing her? Uh, you know, no. But I think that she does work really well with with what she's given to do. And Lord love her for just being game to like I, I can only imagine, you know, you're reading the script and you're like, wait, I have to be in a, a three way. 
and I have a talking fetus. Oh and my god, the three-way to... is like the sweetest part of the movie. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> Nick, but the way you should have read that line is, oh my god, I get to be in a three-way. Just as as a performer, I mean, to not just be doing the traumatic stuff, but also the vulnerable stuff. That's that's what I meant. Um, to do all of that in one production. Uh, and I just I think that that is worthy of praise in itself. You know, some actors you're like, oh, okay, I'm only doing action for for this whole movie. Like to have to run through the gamut of of different different things that cause an actor to be incredibly vulnerable, whether that's, you know, again, a three-way or or having to have a camera in your face as you're performing oral sex. Like, Lord lover for for just being like, you know what? Gonna do all this. Uh, so I, I give, Anna Darmus deserves all the flowers. I mean, I think she definitely wants an Oscar or at least who doesn't want an Oscar, Robin. If I offered you an Oscar, wouldn't you take it? Yeah, I would probably. Depends on what it's for. It depends Uh, on what it's for. Sound mixing. I'll fucking take it. (laughs) I mean, if I got offered an Oscar for an incredibly reductive, like disabled film, I, I, probably say no uh i don't know but i'm aware even if it was sound mixing in a reductively disabled (laughs) film (laughs) i mean as long as the sound is mixed well i mean it's okay maybe not for i wouldn't take it for acting or directing or screenwriting i take it for below the line see that's the thing the below the lines the technicals that's where the true artistry gets rewarded (laughs) there's no politics (laughs) i feel in sound mixing oh that sounds very naive to me sir yeah, I feel I'm like there's a production. The smaller the niche, the bigger the ego. I think that yeah, the problem in those is that you've got a bunch of people who are just like crossing their fingers that all the voters even know what the fuck that stuff means. I do feel like sometimes they overload and, and again, like it's too much of a talking about a large body of humans voting for something as if they are one giant entity that all decided to vote for something, yeah, um, which, <laughs> yeah, which is not the case. But uh, I do feel like oftentimes the uh, technical awards are given to the films that they are too afraid to actually give the big awards to. I was about so to say, like they're given to the Mad Max popular movies. Yeah. Usually, the, like Mad yeah, Max. That happens all the time. Every year they anoint one sort of populist movie to then just take all of the technicals like Dune. We'll we'll admit that you're editing, sound mixing, score, cinematography, special effects, makeup, hair, and clothing was great. <laughs> but no, you don't get any acting awards. You don't get any anything else. Yeah, well, I don't. I, mean, I don't think Coda anyone didn't from get a directing nomination. Yeah, which is, I don't. know. I was gonna say shocking, but I guess it should be shocking. It won Best Picture. It should have gotten a directing. Like this movie didn't direct itself. God damn it. Mm-hmm. God, I'm getting pre-angry <laughs> about the Oscars now. The Oscar for Best Performance by an Unborn Child in the Womb in a movie about a dead <laughs> Hollywood starlet goes to. I'm pretty Remember sure that was, was, what, by the, that, <laughs> what was the creepy baby movie? The musical? Annette? Yeah, oh, it goes to Annette. I was, I was trying to come up with a joke. Uh, yeah. Annette yep. was the creepy no, baby uh, uh, Annette is the joke. That That is the joke. It's That's true. the punchline. That's the setup. The punchline. <laughs> yes. Wait, what were you saying about the voice of the baby? The, isn't... Uh, I don't know if there is even an answer for this, but I think the voice of the baby 
was the voice of the young Marilyn actress. That would make sense. Or the young Norma Jean. It just sounded just like her to me, but I don't know. Oh, I thought you were going to say that this is the same uh, young baby fetus that we hear in another movie. And I was like, this person got typecast as that person (laughs) as well? Some people get typecast as JFK. Some people get typecast as the voice of the unborn. I'm looking and I can't find... <laughs> the uh, Voice of the Unborn just sounds like a documentary you would try to get me to watch. Uh, you really think I would like a <laughs> documentary called Voice of the Unborn? That sounds utterly terrible. That that sounds like both, you know, potentially a abortion uh, documentary, but also it sounds like the setup for a horror movie, like The Voice of the Unborn. Oh, yeah. I'm just yeah. like, what if, what if you it, could, what it if, is like, Halloween. It stars Idris Elba. <laughs> That's gonna be that's gonna be the the name of the radio play adaptation of Ian McEwan's Nutshell. Oh god! That's a joke for three people, and you're all welcome. Are you all familiar with Nutshell? No, no, but I know who Ian McEwan is. Nutshell is is we know how to read, unlike Marilyn Monroe. First of all, (laughs) very mean to Marilyn. She read a lot. I heard she read between one and twenty six books a month. Again, I have the audible receipts. I can show you. Nutshell is a is basically Ian McEwan's modern retelling of Hamlet, but Hamlet has not yet been born. It is. I, it is a. It I is a third. No it is a third trimester fetus that is aware. <laughs> Robin of the is fact, like you have taken my thoughts away. <laughs> it, is, it is aware of the fact that its mother is about to kill its father and hook up with his brother. It's uh. It's fucking you, great. You, you should read this book. It's really good. You have unborn my thoughts. <laughs> Correct. Your thoughts have been aborted. I cannot find There's so much Hamlet fucking talk on this podcast. Yeah, well, you know, Hamlet's an ur text. Everyone wants to get... no. That's that's Hakuna Matata, right? About... Mm. What? <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, that is I the mean, Lion King. It is Lion King. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that's, Lion King. that's how I re- reference it. <laughs> Literally, um, the entirety <laughs> of the Norseman was Hamlet. I can't find the the name of the person who did the voice of the baby, so I'm just gonna say yeah. The voice Lily of Fisher the unborn. Did it. Yeah, Robin, you're right. Woo-hoo. Correct. Good work, Robin. <laughs> so I was thinking about this is an aside, but it's like sort of a Hamlet tangent. Um, I was talking to a friend about why we think bros bombed at the box office. And one of my arguments is that Billy Eichner just is trying to be a Hamlet when he's a Falstaff. And if I that movie that- had starred David Rose from Schitt's Creek, it would have made $20 million. So you're arguing. So you're agreeing. David, I, I, I (laughs) believe. Thank you, Bill, for that awful thing you just did. (laughs) (laughs) Ew, David. Yes, uh, I am agreeing with you, Robin. I don't think people look at a movie starring Billy Eichner and go, oh, yeah, that's what I want for two hours. Yes. And there's a whole host of other reasons why I think it did not do well. And it will probably do much better when it goes to PVOD or streaming. But I think. I think it's just some actors you got to know if you're a Hamlet or a Falstaff, and then you just go with he's it. He's a he's a Yorick, is what he is. Jesus, <laughs> he's a skull. He's well. That's the reason that he became popular is because you can have a thirty second clip of him screaming at someone on the street and it's funny. But like you know, I can't imagine trying to take that and turning it into being a leading man. 
Well, neither can most moviegoers. Yeah, neither neither can. Almost all of America, who roundly did not turn out for bros this weekend. Speaking of didactic movies. But anyway. um, Yoinks. uh, Yeah. Um, Do you think this movie was didactic? What? um, Blonde. Blonde? Not really. Oh, okay. Because you said... probably had... No, I would think Bros was very didactic. Oh, okay. Well, you said speaking of didactic movies, and I wasn't sure if you were re- referencing this one or... No, well, you had or... said the you had said earlier that you didn't think Blonde... W- you think that Blonde was um, purposefully not didactic, and that's one of the things you appreciated about it. Yeah. And I was saying that speaking of didactic movies, Bros was one of them. So... Yeah, it was filled with didact. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't say that again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I got one. Band. Yeah. Now you got one. So, so what are our final thoughts on on Blonde? I feel like creamy. I feel very creamy about it. <laughs> See, I that sounds like a compliment. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Absolutely frothing over this movie. If this is your number one of the year, I'm just going to cancel you outright. Uh, mm. I'm fine with that. That's a good way to go out, right? <laughs> if I just like said blonde's number one Fuck you all! and I'm out, blonde. like I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> this is this is how I'm quitting. This, I'm making blonde my number one. I wonder, I wonder if this is how some people watched Mother and felt like that. That was just oh. tragedy after tragedy. I loved which Mother. I loved. I know I loved oh, it too. So too. I hate that movie so much. <laughs> Wait, Rob, Robin, I I missed what you said. What did you think of it? I hate that movie too. Oh, okay. That was like one of those movies that came out to the I came out of the theater just thinking like fuck everything related to that movie. Are you excited for the whale? Um, what's the word <laughs> excitement mean? Do I like Brendan Fraser? Yes. Do I want to watch that movie? Are you, you aren't like, you aren't like a, an artsy kind of like, it sounds like, or maybe bad artsy. Well, Bill, that's a really roundabout way of calling Robin dumb. (laughs) No, I mean, I do have a lot of mainstream tastes. I actually have very, I have very idiosyncratic tastes. I would say there are some things that I just like love the populism of. And there are some movies that I very much appreciate the autorism. So there, there is no one or the other for me. I like plenty of quote unquote independent movies. Yeah. I feel like, I guess, my, I guess just the bad side. I feel like I've been <laughs> rebelling against like the self serious art house stuff more recently, but for some reason this movie uh, didn't have a problem with. Don't know what to that's say probably because it is on Netflix. No, I feel like if I like, but the thing is, like, if I'd seen this in a movie theater, I feel like I would have been even more enraptured than if I had (laughs) seen it on, if I had watched it in my own home. Like, the home is a battlefield that a movie has a hard time winning. You know, it's just there's so much to do, especially once I would I would state again how extremely tired I was and how much stuff I'd done and how much was working against this movie. But it got me, man. It got me good. If I'd watched this movie Friday night instead of Saturday night, it'd probably be like six stars instead of just like a uh, five. Brian, did you did you like Uncut Gems? I, I wasn't. Oh, yeah, time. I loved Uncut okay, Gems. Okay, so I love that movie, too. I have a movie rec for you. If you haven't seen Funny Pages, I think you would get a lot out of it. 
because it is really it is one of those art house movies that's not self-serious art house like art school bullshit but but is it sweaty oh my god it's like one of the sweatiest movies i've no can't deal with it can't deal with it disgustingly like you could smell the movie it's a bitingly more funny coming-of-age story of a teenage cartoonist who rejects the comfort yeah. of a suburban life in a misguided quest for the soul. Yes. Did you read that off of IMDb? Yes. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm trying to make exactly sure I'm watching it's about. the right funny pages. Did it come out this year? Yeah. Okay, Owen then Klein yes. directed it. Yes. All right. It's like Todd Solon's oh, meets Softy Brothers. Oh, my God. And it smells exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah, I bet it fucking does. I recommend it. Bill, stay away. It's it is like so sweaty <laughs> that you're soaked through. Although I, 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 I loved I loved Uncut Gems, but I have also seen the other Safdie Brothers films, and I'm just like, oh god, like they're they are really good filmmakers, but oh my god, I'm. Ugh, they I want to take a shower after. Movie. Oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's not even it's not even them. It is them recommending someone else. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And that was what it kind of. So I watched it. and I was like, oh, my God, this movie is so fucking stressful. Like I was just I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, this is the most stressful movie I've seen since Uncut Gems. And then I looked up who produced it and I was like, oh, OK, here we go. Get it. Oh, this is an A24 film. Indeed, it is just just a thought. Um, anyway, yeah, so so Brian loved Blonde. Kristen and I hated Blonde. Bill, sounds like I don't know if you hated it or just didn't like it. Uh, I, I wanted it to end. I, I kind of echo your sentiment, <laughs> okay. but uh, I did take some. I, I, I found in between uh, the pages something really interesting. So. I would say I was actually probably closer to what you were describing, Bill, where you're just like, okay, like, like I get, I get the aesthetics of this movie, but then I think it it became so unrelenting that I just like, it switched something off for me. It was like, it was like watching Don't Worry Darling and being like, eh, this movie's okay, but at least it's visually engaging. And then Harry Styles starts to dance and I'm like, fuck this fucking movie. Like, there was it still blows my mind this- that like <laughs> Harry Styles just doing some Harry Styles stuff after that whole movie. You were like, this is it. I don't know why. I'm done here. <laughs> this is it. Yeah. I don't think I've seen much. him do. I don't think I've seen him do uh, cartwheels in place very often. I haven't really watched videos. a lot of his concert footage, so I can't say what he does. But I feel I like still need to, I still need to see the movie. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, honey. Do you, though? Absolutely. You do not. Yeah, I feel like no. I need to know why Harry Styles dancing is a bridge too far. It's it, it's, it was just sort of like, <laughs> we get it. You're fucking him. Why did you have to put this in the movie? And I think I had like a similar experience. <laughs> I don't know. She was, was she like was testing his stamina. It was like either the fetus, the vagina cam, or I don't know. <laughs> None of which like we've the talked about at length. Crying sequence where I was just like, I'm done here. Like, no. I just started laughing. I was just like, ha ha ha. Like really loudly in the theater. Oh Jesus. Just so over it. Please. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> Again, though, I'll say it's funny that Robin's like, these very specific things were the straw for me, and we didn't talk about any of them at all. Well, because what can you say?
say about what can you say about a vagina cam? Like what how much more can you say beyond describing what it is? It just I is. mean, yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, I if I, I didn't have on my Marilyn Monroe movie bingo card a sequence that people are questioning how they filmed it. Somebody said like GoPro. I don't want to know where the GoPro People watching Jurassic Park. This makes total sense. People watching Monroe. Oh, did they put a GoPro in a woman? Oh, yeah, there was also I, I, like a vomit from the toilet's perspective. None of Look, the, this is giant, masterful. Giant. Like this is some pretty basic this, filmmaking. This is not a Tom Cruise movie, right? Like th- this didn't actually happen. So. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> oh, God. And now I'm just thinking about whether Dominic is saying anything about the toilet and the vagina. Why would you? Why? Why is that where your brain goes? Because why would his brain go? Yeah, I was going to say, why would his brain go to showing a speculum (laughs) being inserted in a vagina from the perspective of the vagina? I don't know. (laughs) I didn't realize that I was my own vagina. (laughs) I just I like I understand like, oh, that's a curious thing. Why is that? But then Robin's like, all right, he's he's showing us both inside of the toilet and inside of the vagina. Therefore, it must be a direct parallel that the toilet is a vagina or the vagina is a toilet. I don't mean literally from from a metaphoric, literally. I don't mean from a metaphoric point of view. I just mean like, I just don't understand any of the choices. It's the immortal why. Just why? To me, it's no different than 20-year-old me fucking around in like the the software on the like the editing software trying to make something interesting and visually effective like it meant nothing i was 20 and playing around and that's kind of what this feels like it's just you're like giving us all that you got but is there any meaning behind it or are you just playing around with all of your film directorly toys I mean, I would, I, and again, I would argue that all of that does have a meaning to it. Yeah. And, and I actually, the more that we've talked about it, the more I like understand your point of view about the perspective of the movie. Like I get why you show certain sequences. It's kind of like Game of Thrones to me where I didn't feel like most of the show was exploitative because I felt like actually showing those things created meaning. I, they, there was a point to seeing trauma and tragedy and, horrors instead of shying away from them Mm -hmm. i also kind of felt like by hour three you could have shown a little more restraint no see for me it's like you got to ramp up the whole time and i get it i I get it so that's why why that's why you go from just like fawning over the idea of the first child to like having a full-on conversation with the second one you mean the fetus Yes, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which child, like the infantilized Marilyn, like which child? No, the unborn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The voice of the unborn. Yes. Yeah. When you have, you have to commune with the voice of the unborn. <laughs> uh, there's probably so many horror movies that do that I've never heard of that do this. Oh, I'm almost positive. I feel like I can't remember 
the name of it, but they're literally just revenge. Wasn't, wasn't it like unbirth or something like that? Or pre I don't know, but or? there was a movie about a demonic pregnant or a, a demonic fetus that caused its mother to kill things. And it was like, mommy, kill it. Like from inside her body. Didn't we just watch Resurrection that had some some babies talking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that also sort of reminded me of Prevenge. It's been a big year for the unborn communicating with hey, people. Hey, there was also this terrible show on HBO called The Baby that was also basically this concept. It was just about an evil baby. I have never people. heard of this show. It you sounds very should be strange. glad yeah. that you didn't. Alas. All right. I Alas. think we know how we all feel about this movie. We let our fine listeners make their own choices. I agree. I think it's very charitable that you think our listeners are fine. <laughs> <laughs> our finely haired listeners. <laughs> all right. Well, any final thoughts from our guests? Kristen, would you like to have the final word? Um. I mean, none of my words are positive. Uh, I, I didn't <laughs> like this movie at all. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like at this point, if if this, if Blonde has done anything, it's hopefully just, I know it's not going to be a thing. We're not going to stop Maryland biopics because of this movie, but I would love a break for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think Anna Darmus is good. That's all I got. For the rest of this movie it's just it did not work for me at all yeah we didn't um, even we didn't even get into like our thoughts of like andrew dominic as an artist like and our our opinions about his previous work either nope like, have you like Kristen? have you liked any of dominic's previous films yeah <laughs> i i he's one of those directors like scott cooper that i feel like i should like his stuff and i just do yeah, Scott Cooper, I've liked like one of his movies. And so every time he makes a new movie, I'm like, maybe it'll, maybe I'll like him again. And then it, I just. Exactly. I'm like, the premise sounds interesting. Like, oh, maybe this will be for me. And I loved, I loved Out of the Furnace. And then since then, it's been like, ooh, Black Mass. Uh, ooh, Antlers. Uh, God damn it, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a very specific type of, you know what I, I mean? I feel like I like Aronofsky stuff a bit more. But I feel like there's a subset of directors kind of, yeah, you're Scott Cooper, you're Andrew Dominic's where I'm just like, I, I don't know what, what the turn is in directorial style these days, but I'm just, I don't feel like I'm down with the kids. Scott like, I don't Cooper know, uh... would be thrilled to know that you mentioned him in the same breath as Andrew <laughs> Dominic, I feel. I'm sure he would. So <laughs> I, I, I liked the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I fucking couldn't stand killing them softly. Hated that movie. That movie is so, my friend's still very upset with me when he talks about like top five worst movies I've taken him to. I'm pretty sure that's in the Yeah. I, uh, and what's, holy... what, what's funny is I think back on that movie fondly. I can't remember all the parts I hated, but I'm like, I'd only keep thinking about the same three things in that movie. So clearly it's not a good movie, but those three things have for some reason stood the test of time. I send people the gif of Brad Pitt saying, fucking pay me all the time. I feel like all Jesus. I remember is Brad Pitt saying the title. I feel like that's just like burned in my head. Isn't that just from the trailer? Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's literally all I recall. I remember 
like a weird like seven hour long detour with James Gandolfini as like a suicidally depressed hitman. And uh like a really cool stylized slow motion gun shot killing type of thing and like the TV constantly being on. <laughs> yeah, that okay. movie. That movie I hated. I so yeah, I was actually that's another reason I was surprised that I came on to this movie with so much uh enthusiasm because like there was everything stacked against me. So I don't know. But that's it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let's uh, very quickly run through all the usual stuff. Follow us on Twitter at Film State Show. Make sure to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. And don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of movie. Robin Barr, what are we talking about next time? Good question. Uh, I'm not sure if we decided we're doing Triangle of Sadness, um, but that's high on the possibility list cool all right let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time uh let's start with our guest Kristen. where can people yeah. find work online you can find me over at indiewire.com uh, all of my i'm on all the social medias twitter instagram and the aforementioned tiktok uh in what little free time i have i i participate uh with the podcast tickwitch business which has a Patreon, patreon.com slash chickenwishbiz. A lot of fun stuff over there. So yeah, that's usually where you can find me. What, have you like taken part of any of the major TikTok trends? No, no. I just do like little videos about like classic film and movies I don't like. Uh, I haven't really cracked the code on like what what the kids are are doing with the, with all of that. So I feel like I'm just, looking woefully behind the times so you didn't like make a video about how much you loved a movie but you scored it to it's corn uh see here's the thing i know the corn thing but i have not figured out how to utilize the corn to my advantage so i i feel like i i about 80 percent there on understanding tiktok you just you all you have to do is lip sync to the song and ho- but hold up <laughs> the thing you're actually talking about and then make subtitles that replace the word corn with whatever it is that you like but you still have to lip sync the words it's corn a big lump with knobs it has the juice but then you can just make the subtitle (laughs) say whatever you want it to a friend of mine recently pointed out that i literally make whiskey using corn and it's insane that i didn't make a video about my whiskey using the it's corn audio and it has the juice (laughs) it has the juice when i tried it with butter everything changed anyway if you don't know what we're talking about, go on TikTok and look up. If the you corn don't video. know what we're talking about, just just roll with it. Just don't even look anything up. Live your life. No, be curious. Find out. Die slowly. All right, let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> Bill Graham, where can people find your stuff online? Find me on Twitter at CableBFG, but I don't tweet much. You can also find me out on Instagram at Billstagram, and you can find me mixing it up in the Slack channel. All right, Rob and Barr. Uh, I'm on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R, same at Letterboxd. Um, you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. All right. As for me, speaking of my whiskey, uh, you can find it at schmidtspirits.com or inkwellwhiskey.com. You can follow me on all the social medias at Brian J. Rowan. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it for me personally. Don't forget to find my writing over at thefilmstage.com where you can also find every episode of this here podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. But I won't pay the rental on your humble flat or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls.